Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, Greg, what's happening, buddy? It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Yeah, indeed. It feels like, uh, boy, it's uh, we're a few days deep into the new year, and this is the first episode of 2022, and it's cool. It feels to be back at it after a couple of weeks off. How was your holiday? Back on the horse. Holiday was great. Uh, got a chance to spend a bunch of time uh, around home. The weather was kind of crazy here. This is obligatory podcast weather talk, I suppose. Let's not get too deep into it, but we did get a a pretty substantial amount of rain uh, by anybody's standards, but especially Southern California standards. So it kind of kept people, or at least us, you know, in the house a little bit, which was uh, sort of fun in its own way, be able to lounge around a little bit and enjoy, you know, the kids and, um, you know, kind of do, do it the low key way. How about yourself? Yeah, much the same. I think, I mean, on the one hand, I was a little bit bummed because I had planned to do a few specific things, you know, that were sort of outdoorsy. And, you know, we didn't do those. But on the other hand, I mean, um, you know, it was kind of nice to just be in a way almost forced to, well, I guess what's the pandemic been really, but except <laughs> one long enforced, you know, indoor timeout. But this was uh, this was nice just to be kind of unplugged, um, you know, watching a lot of TV. That's not something I do much of. So it was kind of cool to catch up. We did go yeah. out um, one day and went out to Malibu you know, with the, the good weather we had on uh, Thursday of last week and, you know, just did a picnic there at, uh, at the beach, you know, on the bluffs overlooking the water on one yeah, of those days fun. where it was like unbelievably clear. You could see from Malibu out to Santa Barbara Island. So for people who don't know, I mean, we have all these channel islands and the big ones, you know, Catalina or, you know, Santa Cruz or whatever. But there are some that are really small, and you could see even the small Channel Islands way, way out there. That's really gorgeous. cool. That's really cool. Speaking of, and that's more than I did. But uh, I, speaking of watching stuff, I did watch a, a good chunk of movies, some of which I have been wanting to see for a while. But I didn't, I didn't cross all of them off my list. Um, but I got a chance to 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 really do that, which is fun around the holidays because I feel like I can, I don't have to be up quite as early, and so I can stay up later after the kids are in bed and watch the movies that I want to watch instead of Disney Channel or other animated things or or things more appropriate for that audience. But uh, uh, just the other day, though, I was watching, you know, it's one of the ones I had on my, you know, Los Angeles based, you know, uh, uh, settings and environments. Barton Fink, you ever seen that Coen Brothers um, movie, Barton Fink? It's probably late '90s. I saw it when it came out. I've seen it once. Um, not a ton of detail kind of stuck in my head. Um, Doesn't matter. I, yeah. It, it, I just wanted to point out he's got a cool like octagonal Elgin, you know, on it's, it's based, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think the what time uh, uh, it's probably in the thirties or forties, I'm guessing. Um, really cool. And it, it, he hits it a couple of time on a, you know, it gets featured prominently. I, I tried to look it up to see, you know, what it was. And some people thought maybe it was just a pocket watch conversion or something that they just put together, you know, by the, uh, uh for the set. But anyway, it was neat. It was, it was, it was you know, a good flick, but, uh, it's always fun to, to catch a good watch shot. Yeah. I'll have to kind of check that back out. It's been a long time and I, I have, um, obviously very different, you know, kind of vibe, but it kind of, um, you know, that sort of noir kind of thing, I guess I wouldn't say Comb brothers or, you know, necessarily like that but that whole la noir thing and it makes me want to go back and maybe watch something like la confidential or chinatown chinatown um there's some newer ones gosh oh i'm gonna blank on me now until i look it up there's the um uh inherent vice did you see inherent vice that's also it's more it's a newer i have not super good kind of crime, devil. crime drama kind of thing or what's the deal? yeah yeah crime drama devil in a blue dress that's another so i went through like a whole i was going through a whole like sort of la focused movie scene there for the actually the last couple of months i took a break for a little while but uh it's always fun 
Yeah, I have a buddy. This is very, very tangential, but a really, really good friend of mine. He's a literature professor, um, you know, tenure tracked guy at a major university system. And, you know, when he was, if he had a quarter or a semester where he wasn't really deep into his own area of specialization, which is Shakespeare, you know, he would teach um, some fun classes. And one of the ones that he would do would be like a, uh, like a summer session for LA, like detective noir. Yeah, And, you know, it would be the kind of thing where they, you know, he'd get these kids and they'd go out and look at some of these places, you know, stuff like, you know, um, like, you know, uh, oh, come on, what the restaurant Cicada. Have you ever been there? Actually, I was just talking about it with a friend the other day. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that kind of thing. You know, that's yeah. all the, anyway, the architecture and the, the kind of dark, cool, moody type stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll leave it with this, and then we'll get off the movie the movie bit. But uh, I do want to see that new um, PT Anderson movie, the Licorice Pizza. I think it's also set in sort of the valley. Yeah, I so I was talking about that with my wife because she's just I think young enough. She's a couple years younger than me, and you know I'm I'm an old fart. But she just has some vague recollections of licorice pizza. Like, wasn't that a place or a thing? I was like, yeah, yeah. It was like a, you know, record store, um, you know, of some some fame, right? Like in the yeah. 70s and, and early 80s. And when I was a kid, you know, it was like Warehouse and Music Plus. These were, I don't know if these were national chains, but that was, you know, where you went. And licorice pizza was for the maybe the, the guys who were just a little older than me. Yeah, you yeah. Know, who had well, maybe- their own. Yep. Maybe by the next one we'll be able to break it down if we if we had a chance to watch it. It's it's gotten really good reviews. I'm, I've been on a big PT Anderson kick now for a little while as well. Yeah, I want to see it. That'd be fun. Cool, man. So what's on your wrist today, Matt? Ooh, I have a new watch alert, bro. Whoa. Well, I mean, it's um. So I've had it now for a minute, and you and I have talked about it. You've seen it, so it's it doesn't feel quite as like oh, new watch alert surprise, um, especially since it has been a long time coming. But I am wearing the new, uh, you know the Weiss 38 millimeter hand wound. This is the, the one with the skeletonized handset and it's the latte dial. So I, I really like this latte dial just because it's, it feels very signature, you know, for Cameron Weiss. And yeah, man, I think, you know, you had an opportunity to check it out. I think you'd agree with me. I mean, it's, it's very impressive build quality. And I just like the, for lack of a better way to put it, just that the honesty of this as a, as a product, you know, I mean, this is a a luxury or near luxury, you know, product, but the idea that there's so much, uh, value add is done here in the United States and, you know, by entities that, you know, you know, it's, it's Cameron and, and Horween leather and, you know, stuff that's, there's not a lot of question marks, like where, where did, these materials come from who did the work, that kind of thing. And it's just, it was very refreshing. So I, I knew when we had Cameron on last year that I was going to end up with one of his watches. I've been wanting one for a while. And I think the 38 millimeter was the way to go. And I'm really happy with it. So I've got it here on that sort of, and again, you've seen this, but that sort of uh, olive drab kind of patterned leather. It's very similar to the OEM canvas strap in terms of the color, but, uh, you know, whereas the canvas is probably more of a Cordura, this is a little bit more supple, you know, on my wrist, but it's the same colorway. So it's cool. I like it a lot, man. How about you? What have you got on? It's a perfect size. I, uh, that was the first time seeing that size in person the other day when we, uh, when we were able to grab a beer and, um, you, you nailed it. And I think the lot, you, you, we talked about it with Cameron, that latte dial, I, I think is a bit of a, a signature. I don't think anybody else does it quite that same way. And, um, and the skeletonized hands are, are neat. I know, you know, Loom or no loom can be a tough choice for people, but uh, it fits, and I think it's worth it. You know, for for that dial. Yeah, I think the one thing I would say to people, you know, please do take a look absolutely at Cameron Weiss. Again, this is Weiss Watch Company. There, I would describe sort of the the way this watch fits on wrist, and you know, when you hold this as an object physically, it's very similar to, I think, what you would see with something like that Nomos Club you know, in terms of like thickness, um, you know, it does, it's a little bit luggy, you know, the, the lugs are probably about one or maybe 1.5 millimeters on each side, a little bit wider maybe than they need to be or not wider, but you know, wingspan width. So lug to lug length. Um, but with a relatively small watch at 38, 
you know, it doesn't end up being too big on wrist at all. It just gives it a, a little bit more presence. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, a really, really cool thing. Very happy to have it. You don't happen to know the thickness off the top of your head, do you? You know what? I don't, but I want to say it is maybe 10. Yeah. But I, I think mean, it's got a great it might profile. even be a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It fits right under the sleeve, you know, if you need it to. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. So that's, that is what's on wrist for me. How about you today? Oh man. So I hadn't worn it in a while and, uh, and I picked it up on New Year's Eve and it had 31 on the date window. And so I didn't have to adjust anything. That's like the, and it's been, it had been weeks. So, you know, randomly was just on the right date. So it felt like the right go-to and, uh, you know, champagne dial. I have the, uh, the Bulova Oceanographer D, uh, two-tone champagne dial, um, you know, kind of fluted bezel, uh, just a fun, fun 36 millimeter watch, you know, date just adjacent. And it's also on Horween from Hovig's very deep, very deep, deep, deep kind of hunter green. And, uh, it's just fun, just fun. So I've kept it on, you know, basically for the last couple of days, which is unusual sometimes for me and, uh, just felt right, you know, with the date being where it was supposed to be on new year's Eve and kind of went with the new year's Eve outfit, I suppose, and champagne on the dial, champagne in the glass. Yeah, buddy. It's kind of funny. Unintentionally, these watches, I think, are actually, you know, kind of similar, you know, in terms of sort of wearability, the size, the wrist presence, and then even even the colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I yeah, think they would definitely very go cool. well next to each other. Um, let's jump into, you know, we haven't done this for a few weeks and, and uh, well, I'm sorry, we did share one on uh, on the on the joint episode or, or I should say our, our uh, invitation to join Dan at Timely Moments on the ZT podcast, we did a, uh, a cocktail matchmaker, but I had posted something right after that because that got me in the mode for doing some some new cocktails. We hadn't done them for a few weeks. I've just been tied up and we've had a lot of really interesting guests and, and, and good content to cover. So it didn't totally fit in. So I've got a new cocktail for us, you know, that might fit in for our, you know, for, for something that you and I have been talking about for a little while here. Dude, break it down. I think you kind of gave me a little bit of the, uh, the thumbnail sketch prior. So I'm interested to see how this shapes up. What's the deal? I did. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, originally we've been doing a lot of cocktail matchmakers based off of uh, a pairing, you know, particularly with something that you were cooking up, you know, or, or, or things like that. But we also, when we originally sketched it out, uh, we always thought it could be something, hey, this is what I have on my shelf right now, or this is seasonal, or how can I put a couple of these ingredients together, right? It didn't always have to be, you know, strictly paired like a menu item. And so I had some seasonal fruit come in. Um, and that's why we did the persimmon reposado, uh, old fashioned, you know, with Dan on the ZT podcast. And around that same time, I also had some, uh, some fresh dates come in. And so for today we have, uh, an old fashioned with date syrup and it's as simple as it sounds. It's really just your basic old fashioned recipe. You know, I went with two and a half ounces of, of bourbon, uh, you could do rye, of course, or, you know, adjust to your taste, uh, three dashes of bitters. And and where it, it does veer slightly is is an ounce of date syrup. And that's not difficult, but it does take a little bit of time. Six cups of water, four cups of dates, basically boiled them off for an hour, pressed it, let, you know, the juice kind of come out and then reduced it, you know, for another, you know, 15 or 20 minutes on, on, a, on the, on the stovetop. And, uh, and that yielded, you know, a, a good, a good amount of, of date syrup. And, uh, so that gave it a nice, you know, sweetness, uh, but not over the top, you know, I, I think a classic date flavor marries well with an old fashioned garnished it with a Luxardo cherry and a date off you go. So dude, I'm, I'm curious this, uh, the syrup, does it come out when you're done with it? Is it pulpy or, you know, is it like really thick, like, uh, uh, you know, almost like, you know, pancake syrup or maple syrup or what's the consistency like? No, it's pretty, it, it's pretty liquidy. I, I would, it's almost a simple syrup. I mean, it's not reduced with sugar probably because the dates are so naturally sweet. I don't think you need to reduce it with sugar. So it, it's a pretty, it's a, it's, it's liquidy. Yeah. Uh, the, the persimmon one that we made was more of a puree. And so that had, it was much more pulpy and it was a, a lot thicker. Um, this essentially ended up like a syrup. And so it was easy to measure out. It, it, it mixed well, I think, into the actual cocktail glass. 
and um, you know it's easy to store too. It, it should hold for for a little while in the refrigerator. So um, yeah, it was almost just like a you know a reduction. Sweet. I would try that for sure. And that does seem like that is kind of winter appropriate, or at least Southern California winter. I mean, it's not, Definitely. you know, I'll hit you with a, weather. no, 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 that's it. But it does seem to be fitting and, and it's been cool here lately. So I'll hit you with a, a Mason jar, uh, next time I see you and you could just make it however you make your typical old fashioned, but hit it with some date syrup. Dude, anything's going to be better than the last time I did a cocktail on our, uh, that was awful. <laughs> so I'll have to try it. That was a low bar, I suppose. Yeah, well, I, you know, what, what is it? You sort of argue in favor of your limitations and sure enough, they're yours. I, I deliberately tried to make something really simple and it was like, okay, sometimes it can just be a, too much of a good thing. In this case, too much bitters. Anyway. Hey, we're, and we're regular people over here. We're, <laughs> you're going to get the, you're going to get the straight talk and we're, sometimes we're going to mess things up and there might be cocktails or it might be watch takes and here we are. This is what we do. Yeah. It's not like, uh, I'm going to, have a sip of that. And you see through the video here, the monitor, like my, I'm about to vomit face as I say, Oh, that's delicious. It's great. No, it was, it was not good. Not good. No, no, no. Well, you know, it is good. Our main topic for today. What what do you think we jump into something about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's good. It's in that it's meaty as a topic, but, um, it interesting, right. In as much as what we're about to talk about is, um, I think, uh, sort of predicated on the fact that there's a lot that's really not that great in the hobby right now. I've, I've talked to a number of people and it does feel like a lot of people just feel like we're sort of under siege right now, just with a ton of hype. Um, a lot of the, the aspirational brands that are out there, they're the pricing and the availability is just you know, uh, it's a joke. And even, even brands like, and I'll just, I'll say it right. I mean, Rolex, Rolex is certainly is a benchmark brand, um, in our hobby, but you know, unless you're talking about something that's like diamond encrusted or, you know, a full gold, you know, day date or something like that, or a platinum, these things were attainable and they were available up until fairly recently. And if you were somebody who wanted to get into the hobby at that level, you could, you could do it. You know, it might be a stretch at at various points. It's going to be to one extent or another, it's going to be a stretch for a lot of people, but it's doable. And even Rolex is not doable. I'm making air quotes here anymore um, for a lot of people. I mean, unless you, we hear stories from time to time about people getting lucky or having maybe long-term purchase history from a dealer or something like that. But for the garden variety normie, that's unobtainium now. And, you know, just with you kind of pair that stuff up with all of the, you know, the hype beast with, you know, the websites and, you know, God love us, even the the podcasts and blogs and, and YouTube channels and stuff like that. It, sometimes it feels like it's just a little too much. And we, this is just probably a topic I think that's been on a lot of people's mind lately. And so we're going to address at least a little bit of that today. Yeah, I, I, actually, it's funny, you know, I probably a number of us have this kind of conversation with folks when, when they want to talk watches with us, if they're not, you know, deep into it, like we are. So I just had this conversation really just the other day too. Um, in addition to you and I sketching it out previous to that, it's um, and I think David uh, Driscoll on uh, on our, one of our recent episodes, you know, we we touched on it with him. You know, just the sort of consumer culture, hype culture, it's affecting a lot of things. And so, you know, we're talking about watches quite quite honestly and uh, and purposefully, but. Um, you know, if you have your feet in other places, you also see it there, right? Whether you're in sneaker culture, uh, whether you're, you know, in, in certain booze air, you know, booze, you know, areas, whether it's whiskey or even tequila and, and, uh, at bourbon, of course. Um, and so I don't know, you know, I, I think in some ways this is a microcosm of just sort of consumer culture in general. I think it just hit watches in a way that people, maybe didn't expect, or maybe were taking sort of out of, you know, t- it seemed like out of left field because it was this niche little hot. Well, I shouldn't say little, it was a niche hobby that not a lot of people really paid attention to. And then all of a sudden things really got crazy. So anyway, all that to say, you know, it'd be interesting to see where we take this, what maybe some of the ways to combat it are. Um, and maybe where some of the pressure points that, that we see. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, without, um, 
you know, calling out any one platform over another or anything like that, as good as um, social media has been for certain types of hobbies, uh, and ours is one of them, it's it's also been, I mean, and it's good in as much as we get to see a lot of stuff, we make great connections and that kind of thing, right? But it's also, it it is the platform for the flex. And so whether you're talking about, you know, uh, the IG or, or whatever, you know, that's unfortunately that also drives a lot of, like you said, the consumerism and the, the rapid pace of the, um, the spread of hype. And I don't know if there's a better word, if you've got another word, jump in, but you know, that's, it's an issue. So as you said, we want to talk about this a little bit, um, and full disclosure. I mean, we, this is an issue we may be revisiting a few times, you know, in the early part of the year, possibly with, right. Um, maybe with some guests or, Mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, with some other folks in, in our hobby, in our community and, you know, just to see, Hey, what get a temperature check, see how people are feeling. And if they feel like us and spoiler alert, we know they do. We, you know, we've talked to them, you know, what kind of things can we do individually and collectively to make the hobby better or to just enjoy it on a personal level better. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now I'm going to leave it unless we revisit it for something else, you know, for social media and and sort of big tech, you know, they, of course, that's where we see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing and, you know, where the, but it seems like it's the place to flex. And, you know, quite frankly, the algorithms are built so that you're delivered things, that are going to get views. You're delivered things that are, you know, popular. You're delivered things that somehow fit your personal viewing or just things that you're kind of related to or next to. And so, you know, Instagram, YouTube, all of those things are going to deliver kind of the same old, same old over, over and over and over and over again. So um, anyway, but there's ways to get out of that. Right. And there, and I think a lot of us do. I think a lot of us are even always open to finding, you know, new avenues, new areas and, you know, lightly discovered things or maybe undiscovered things. And that's sort of, I think the beauty of, of getting people together in this way and saying, this is what's on my radar or, Hey, what's on your, you know, what's new for you. Um, and it's a way to, to kind of continue expanding horizons. Okay. Sorry about that. Just had to pause real fact, but, um, yeah, to, to your point, Greg, I mean, even, you know, little tiny outlets like us or, you know, bloggers or whatever are incentivized by the algorithm, right? To focus on whatever the hype thing is, you know, in whatever, you know, subject matter you're talking about, you are, you know, you're going to get more looks, more listens, whatever, more attention if you you have some reference to that hype thing. So I don't know, maybe, but one of the solutions I think that we've at least identified is just to make that conscious effort, that conscious decision, right. To not, you know, play like mentally and emotionally in that, that kiddie pool anymore. And just to, you know, expand your horizons and and look at different brands, you know, brands that maybe you can be into, you know, long-term without feeling icky. And so we've got a few brands to talk about some of which I think are going to be pretty obvious and some maybe not quite so obvious, for people who are looking to have maybe a breath of fresh air in 2022 and, and deal with something other than let's be honest, you know, Rolex, Patek, uh, you know, the Trinity brands, et cetera. What do you think? Yeah, I think we should do that. And and hopefully it'll have a few people, you know, comment back saying, you know, I agree here. I disagree here, you know, on this one, you know, or you missed out on another one. And so just creates, I think a more informed, you know, community. Yeah, totally. Well, why don't we start with this then? Um, I will, I think one of the obvious brands that we could probably lean into first, right, is going to be Oris. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Oris certainly is a darling, I think, among, you know, the collector community. You know, it's independent. Um, I would argue, I mean, I don't really know what they sell, but I would argue that they're not that small. Um, a lot of SKUs, a lot of interesting stuff. And I think in in North America, the engagement with the collector community is very strong. It's just, it's a cool brand. And it, whether you like something that's, you know, kind of like a, a sport piece or dive watches or the pilot watches, you've got Oris. What do you think? I think you're right. I think it's totally deserved. It's the one of the easiest, 
quickest responses to this question we're having. So in some ways it feels a little, you know, unoriginal, but the, the truth is it, it is. And it's, I think it offers a lot to people. You can go relatively up and down the portfolio from, you know, sort of, uh, you know, um, source movements, you know, a lot of Salida all the way up to now they have in-house. So you can sort of decide what's important to you there. It's got brand history uh, and prestige, you know, it's, uh, it's independent. Uh, like you said, I don't know their numbers and, and quite frankly, a lot of these are privately held companies. So we probably would never really understand their numbers. But, um, I think to your point, their, um, mainstream presence is obviously much lower than, than the big, the big boys, right. The big, the big, the big, uh, heavy, you know, marketers and, and people who are working through advertisement. I mean, they're doing things that are on a much more grassroots level, which I probably connects with people. Um, but I think it's fantastic. It's got a lot of you know respect from people who who know the community. I think people who are newer to the hobby would appreciate its its uh, its effort and also its direction. Um, and so I think it belongs at the top of the list or near the top of the list for for good reason. Um, I will say I've been meaning to talk about this with you. Uh, the new pointer, the new pointer date, um, proportionally and sizing, really cool. Um, and it'd be neat to, to, to see that, uh, in-house caliber. Um, but something about it, and I, I probably a little biased here, but something about the, the previous, uh, iteration and its handset and some of its other little idiosyncrasies, like the, the actual pointer date, I think have a little more character, um, but a nice watch nonetheless. I actually agree with you on that. I, um, I really like the new dive options, especially with their, their in-house caliber, the caliber, whatever we want to call it. But, um, I think the pointer date, the, the original, when I say the original, I mean, they've been doing this, I think, as a as a format for at least like 50 or 60 years. But the one that you have, how about that? The one that became popular, you know, yeah, maybe five years ago or so, uh, is the one to have just aesthetically. I think it's just a cleaner overall aesthetic. I think the proportions go better together. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, but no, I think Oris is, is right up there. Let's throw another one out there that I think is is quite obvious in a lot of ways, but also again, deserves to be discussed and brought up because there's going to be people that are entering, you know, the conversation at all places, right? Maybe at the very beginning, or maybe they're, they, they understand quite a bit, but you want to sort of not just gloss over it for the sake of, for the sake of it, but uh, Nomos. I mean, we did a whole episode on Nomos, um, what we like about them, what, we think their deal is, you know, from our perspective, how they fit into the general landscape, what they offer. And, uh, and so Nomos is a, is a great option too. Um, you know, you're getting out of the Swiss world, right. For, for a moment. So that's kind of brings its own level of, I think, independence, uh, you know, and I mean that both from the Swiss watch world, but also in terms of being independently owned, uh, not part of a, a big conglomerate. And, uh, and they, and, and these days they're doing a lot of different things. I mean, there's a lot, the Nomos aesthetic is pretty clear across the line. I, I don't think anybody would ever mistake any watch in the portfolio to not be a Nomos. It's pretty clear, but they're doing a lot of different things. It isn't, it isn't just, you know, kind of the same old, same old, you know, you're, you're seeing things that are fun. You're seeing things that are sporty. You're seeing things that are travel oriented. You're seeing things that are of course dress, you know, and, and sort of minimal and, and Bauhaus. So they're covering a lot of different things. They're covering different case shapes. Uh, speaking of which, Oris just dropped, well, I don't know if they just dropped, maybe it's been in the catalog for a little while, but they have this sort of, uh, you know, reverso rectang- uh, rectangular watch, but uh, I'm thinking that now as I think of the different Nomos case shapes, it's fun to see people playing with that now rather than just the, uh, the same old, same old. So Nomos, I mean, that's one that I think people, you know, if you're well steeped in the watch community, you're, you're probably not unfamiliar with them, but if you're newer to it, or you just sort of glossed over, or you've only been looking at, you know, Swiss, Swiss made on the dial, I think Nomos, you know, rightfully belongs, you know, at that top near the top of the list as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of those brands that, um, is easy to overlook if you're just constantly being assaulted by, you know, all of the, uh, uh, the brand and the media stuff from, you know, the bigger brands, but, um, super well-respected brand in Nomos. Um, and to go back to what you said about Oris, I absolutely, absolutely want to see that rectangular watch. I think that's literally what they're calling it is like the rectangular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to take a look at that and see if that'd be a decent alternative and can be worn by somebody even like my wife, you know, and Mm -hmm. if, if she would wear something like that to work, she has a Jung right now. 
and that's a super cool watch. So I don't know. We'll just, uh, we'll see. But as far as Nomos goes, yeah. Um, I don't think there's anybody that's deep in, in the, the culture, the collecting community that is unaware of Nomos, but at the same time, um, speaking of Nomos, you know, and, and touching, you mentioned earlier, you, you're, you had a, a youngins, uh, that you had purchased not long ago for, for your wife. I think going over to Germany in itself is, is, uh, you can find a lot of, you know, solutions to what we're talking about. Um, you know, Glashuta is one that we've talked about, Glashuta original, um, you know, youngins, um, and there's others. So I think sure. there's a lot to be found there and you're going all the way up and down the, the, the spectrum again, you know, from sort of more accessible price points up into, you know, well into four and five figures. But at the same point, there's a lot of, there's a lot there. Yeah. I mean, um, and don't forget Zen, you know, that's one of those brands that I like Omega. I could probably, or Seiko, I could collect just in that brand and yeah. find stuff along, you know, a variety of different, um, you know, formats and, and styles and like quality levels, price points, you could be happy with a lifetime of collecting just, just within, just with, yeah. uh, uh, you know, some of these other brands. So that's, I think that's an excellent point. And actually Zen is one of the watches that's kind of on my radar for the next year or so. So we'll see. Yep. Well then, I mean, other alternatives, I mean, obviously I'm wearing one right now. Um, you know, huge plug, but, uh, somebody like Weiss, you know, Cameron Weiss, I think, you know, um, doesn't have a ton of options in terms of, you know, models and and that sort of thing. But if you want a breath of fresh air, uh, you could do a lot worse, I think, than buying something from Cameron Weiss at Weiss Watch Company. Yeah. And I, and I think you even, you know, you've been going back and forth and you've known, you know, Cameron for some time. And, um, you had mentioned it earlier, basically the, uh, satisfaction in, in, in knowing how that piece came together and sort of having a little bit of, uh, transparency to some degree. I don't know if transparency is the right word, but not being so confused, not having this sort of opaqueness to where it is, you know, your watch came from. That's a pretty cool thing. That's actually a really great thing. Yeah. I think that's exactly um, what drew me to the brand aside from the aesthetics and just the coolness of the guy is the fact that, yeah, with, with this watch in particular, the watch that's on my wrist, I feel pretty comfortable knowing, okay, where, you know, where does the movement originate? What kind of work does Cameron put in it in order to, you know, improve or add value? Um, You can have conversation with Cam. I know where the case is made. And, you know, that's also made in America, you know, here it's a, uh, American company cam finishes all this stuff, you know, where the straps are made, um, you know, even the box that he sends you, you know, this thing in has, you know, a lot of attention to detail and handwork. It's just such a cool thing. And it's, um, it's very different, you know, from any, I won't say anything else, but the idea of knowing, you know, that a, uh, a kind of a classically trained watchmaker, somebody who's worked for, you know, the high end brands has, you know, sprinkled some of his pixie dust on the watch that you're wearing. And that, you know, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of content in this watch is coming from some nebulous place, you know, whether that's, um, you know, some, you know, I hate to use a term like sweatshop or something like that, but I, that's probably the wrong you know term in this. Just in industrial, this yeah, yeah, it's kind yeah, of this industrial. You know, you know. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of sweatshops in the watch world, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, and it's you know, so everything is very sort of open, and and I really like that. And you know, it's kind of in terms of like quality, it's kind of right down the middle in terms of well, uh, I should say price point. You know, in terms of some of the things, you know, it's it's not a micro. It definitely feels like it's more established and uh, more traditional, you know, in terms of business model and what you're getting than some of the micro brands that are out there. But it's also, you know, not, uh, you know, not Omega, Rolex, Grand Seiko, that kind of thing. Yeah. there. I've been, over the last few months, I've really been, you know, intrigued by, like you mentioned, having sort of, having the watchmaker made the watch. I mean, listen, I'm not a snob about it. You know, I, I understand that all the watches I have came off an assembly line to some degree, you know, there was watchmaker assembly coming, you know, together, but to know that, you know, there's a proprietor, you know, behind there and there's an independent watchmaker, that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, let's stay on the, on the, on the, on the micro brand beat for a second. There's a lot of, you know, 
well-established and well-respected, you know, micro brands out there. I don't think we have to rehash all of them, but we talk about them a few times and, and a, a number of people we know um, are enjoying them. You know, the notice, the Laurier's um, Baltic, and then even I know some of the OG sort of micros, the Ravens and the Helioses. And I, I mean, there's just a few other pods I think have touched on this recently. There's sort of a plethora of options for micro brands these days, and they're all made pretty damn well. I, I, I hesitate to say this because I wasn't around and collecting, you know, 15 years ago, but I don't know how many options you had at that point. You could probably reflect maybe a little bit on that. It seems like it's sort of a golden age of micro brands. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if any, I don't know if I would call this a micro brand per se or a small brand like Weiss, but you know, 15 years ago, maybe not quite even that long ago, but it was like Mark two and you know, uh, maybe Helios. You know, I remember like the Helios Laguna, if if I have that nomenclature right. You know, I mean, that goes way back into the early days of the Fora. So there's some cool stuff. And yeah, you know, we've, um, as you say, you know, I've been super impressed, you know, with what I've seen from Laurier, you know, and finally getting to go hands on with those watches. Those are super cool. Um, I was very tempted to get a notice recently. Yeah, yeah, we should. We, you and I should go in halvesies and, and just get a, nose, a notice and, and review it for the show and just decide who gets to like have custody of it for one week or vice versa or whatever. That'd be fun. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. Then maybe the guys could come on and talk about it too. Yeah, and think about like what a um, I I hate to say it because we're trying to get away from hype, but you know, conventional sort of and I'm you know again making the air quotes here, conventionally defined micro brand like Baltic has, you know, gotten so good and it's sort of, uh, uh, brand equity and, and placement in some people's head is so strong, you know, that they're doing, you know, some of these, um, releases that are selling out like in just in minutes. And those are also very cool kind of timeless designs. So there's some fun stuff. And, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, this might sound like a silly thing to say, you know, but um, I've, I've got a, a Blanc Pond, right? You know, this, the 50 Fathoms. How, how unhype and stealthy a brand is Blanc Pond? Pretty stealthy and pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, if you, if uh, you're at that sort of place in your collecting journey, you know, where you're looking for an alternative to something like Rolex. Um, I think in terms quality wise, um, you know, it's on another level, but it doesn't have any of that negative baggage. And there's a lot of brands like that when you think about it. I mean, you know, Haute brands, even like, uh, you know, Breguet, mm-hmm. right. Um, do Parmigiani. I, I know somebody who has in, in, you know, their collection, they have three Parmigiani watches. Oh, wow. Zero hype whatsoever. And, um, you know, these are not inexpensive things, right? They're, right. they're very well finished, well designed, very high quality, you know, pieces, um, and super, super cool in their own right. But if you were to go out and say, okay, well, what is the real price, you know, of a steel and gold Daytona now, the real, you know, price on the street or the real price of the, you know, it's not Tiffany blue, but that Tiffany adjacent blue OP. Dude, I saw two it's of those Tiffany. for sale today. Uh, on Chrono 24 for north of 60 grand. 66 zero? Six zero. Yeah. In fact, one was like 67,000 and another Get the was- hell out of here. Another one was over $70,000. So what would you rather have? I mean, at that point, you know, is the is the Parmigiani the better deal? Hell yeah. That's yeah. I mean, question. come on. I There's, it's not even comparable. But again, it's- it's $5,000 worth of watch and $70,000 worth of flex. Wow. You know, worth of like, you know, I, IG clout in bad terms ratio. of- Bad ratio. Bad yeah, ratio no. in my book. Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, that goes away. At, at what point does the person who pays that kind of money feel like an idiot? Mm-hmm. Hopefully pretty early on in the process, I would hope. Maybe even before you paid the money. But yeah, so- the whole point really right in this exercise, Greg, is just to talk about all the cool stuff that's out there. And, you know, if you're if you're listening to us and you're like us and you've been in this game for a few minutes and you feel like there's just a lot of like the uh, oppressive, you know, um, brand marketing uh, fluff and like the hobby is just getting ruined. 
you know, there's, there's a port in a storm out there for you. Just, you know, find a brand you like that is away from sort of the hype beast, the hype train, you know, the Hodinky darlings, whatever. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. Wouldn't you agree? I would. And, you know, part of this is, part of this I think can be reconciled a little bit by, and not everybody has this opportunity, right? For, it could be, you know, health reasons. It could be just geographic, you know, considerations. When you have a chance to get around an in-person with diverse watch collectors, you know, or even if you don't call yourself a collector, just, you know, hobbyists or enthusiasts, whatever, you, you tend to sort of find these things very organically because someone comes in and they don't have the latest, you know, uh, uh, flex piece and they collect Everhards and you're like, Oh shoot, that's an amazing, I, I never really, never went down that rabbit hole before. Or, you know what? I actually collect, you know, speedies of all kinds, not just, you know, per, you know, moon watches and all, and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize there was all these different options within just this one line within this one brand or, or I collect, um, whatever. And so, you know, it's not always easy. It's not always possible. Um, and you can do it online. I'm not saying it's only done in person. Um, you know, if you just, if you sort of build out your, you know, if you seek it out and you build it, you know, you, you can find some pretty cool things that way too. But, uh, you know, I, I found in person is a really nice way to mitigate some of this stuff because, you know, if you spend a bulk of your time following, you know, the, the, the usual suspects and the usual media outlets, you, you unfortunately are going to be inundated, right. With, with the newest paddock release with the newest, you know, Tiffany, uh, you know, limited edition, that color, this color, the new AP, blah, 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 blah. And it, it, it's, it's just inevitable. And it's really hard to get away from it unless you completely shut off from it. So, um, you know, sort of curate your, your community, I guess, you know, hopefully you could do that in person, you know, when it's possible, when it's safe, if you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And if not, it can be done online too. Yeah. You know, it's, we didn't talk about this prior, but seriously, how easy is it in the, in the pre COVID days and hopefully, you know, post COVID as well, when we have meetups and get togethers, you know, if we have a, a social group built around this hobby, how easy is it to kind of scratch the itch for, you know, that dopamine hit? by, you know, borrowing a friend's watch for a 30 day test drive, you know, swap, a do a, a like for like watch swap. We've done it. You know, we've done that with our buddy, Chase Horology uh, 411, any number of people, and you have something maybe on your wrist that you haven't before you get that new experience. And just by kind of keeping a steady stream of that kind of experience going, I, I think it takes a lot of the, um, the, that nervous impulse in the back of your mind to constantly be looking at the newest, latest, greatest thing. Chances are anything that you've got in your collection, you got it at some point because it was cool. It's probably still cool. Yeah. You know, do you really, yeah. Do you, how bad do you really need to move on to the next thing? That's a good point. Yeah. And there's, there is some value. There's a lot of value in that. And it's what makes it a really special place too. I don't think, you know, there's a whole lot of hobbies and, and, and communities out there where people are, as, as, as many of us are so willing to share, um, that, uh, that you get to experience those things that you may, you know, not really have a chance to see in person. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, totally. Well, Hey, I'm going to put you on the spot. I mean, just, you know, we talked about a number of brands, a number of micros, um, you know, even some, some big ticket highlight brands. If you had to pick one thing as an alternative to Rolex that kind of slots into the space that Rolex is seemingly trying to vacate. You know, in other words, they're they're trying to this is in my perception, they're trying to move away from being sort of the upmarket benchmark brand that the you know, successful every person um can get, wants and can get. I'm sure they love the equity and the desire that a lot of us have. Um but they're not making themselves available for, you know, the normal person anymore. Um, you know, it is not the watch for the, you know, upper middle-class professional anymore, unless you're lucky, at least not somebody who's getting into the hobby. What one brand is out there that you think for you, Greg, um, you know, is going to occupy that space in, in sort of in your head? I have two, if I hope that's okay. And they're going to, I'm going to bifurcate it. One And they're both pretty clear. And I I don't think any of these are going to be earth shattering. I'd be curious how you respond to it. One is sort of, uh, you know, OP slash maybe like date just, 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a line in the sand there where they, they can sort of replace that as a one for one. And I think and it was it was hailed as this for the longest time until it get, got real traction in North America. And this is not, you know, this is not underrated by any stretch of the imagination anymore. But Grand Seiko, right, you can walk into any number, you know, Grand Seiko dealers, boutiques. Um, and I think for what a lot of Rolex MSRP is, you're going to be either there or maybe a, a shade below. And I think you're getting all of the same, if not more actual chops um, and, and, and with a beautiful design language. And so from my perspective, I think Grand Seiko fills that side of the Rolex lineup. On the other side, if you're looking more tool, and I, and I understand Grand Seiko makes tool watches too. I'm not pretending like they don't, but I think there, there's a better parallel on the tool side. You know, if you're looking to sort of be, you know, sub or GMT adjacent, um, I think Tudor. And, and, and that might be a little bit of a cop-out given Tudor's relationship to Rolex, but I think the Black Bay and the Pelagos and some of their... Some of the, especially that lineup is absolutely 100% a, a beautiful alternative, I think. And just for the time being pretty available, you might have to, you might, I guess you might jump on a waiting list for certain things for a short time, perhaps, but I think you can walk into a number of places and pick those up and they're beautiful. And they're going to be, I think they're going to be pretty timeless. I don't think that they're of the moment. I think they will be pretty, um, pretty iconic in their own right. And, uh, and, and Tudor has been doing their own cool thing for a while, you know, whatever their relationship is to Rolex, that's fine. But I think they're kind of doing their own thing as well. Yeah. I think those are good choices. And it actually makes sense to me when you talk about like bifurcating, cause it, they're it, grand Seiko is it's, uh, you know, round dial three or four hander, no bezel 40 millimeter ish. That's right in their wheelhouse. And yeah, you're right. Everybody wants them to produce, you know, the, the quote unquote Submariner killer, right. You know, they've got some, some dive watches and they're great, but they're pie plates. Um, so I don't think they really compete. Maybe, maybe they have some good competition for the Explorer too. They have a lot of good GMTs. So I totally, I, I buy that and I buy the Tudor thing too. If I had to pick one, we haven't really mentioned it here. Um, and it's probably the most obvious. So if you think Tudor is a cop out, wait till you hear my answer. I'm saying Omega. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm saying Omega. I think Omega is still absolutely relevant. Um, there is certainly, you know, the potential for some hype. You know, obviously you're gonna see um, you know, a lot of uh uh institutional advertising and, and brand advertising and stuff like that for Omega all over yeah. the place. And you know, obviously they will probably never stop beating us over the head with the moonwatch thing, which is great. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. I'm, I'm all about it. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but in terms of sort of material science and chronometry, you know, the whole Metas thing, um, I think they've sort of pulled Rolex along, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, using things like ceramic and all of that kind of thing in garden variety watches. Um, and there's a lot of things that they do really, really well. And it's, it's a historic, always been an operation brand. It's, uh, I think it's one of, in fact, um, we had this conversation the other day when we were sitting down, it's one of the, the best brands. If you want like long-term support for older watches, they're one of the, the best options. I think of the big brands to help collectors keep old, uh, references running you know, they're very good for that. And we talked about that experience that, uh, I got to kind of, you know, peek over the shoulder of a, of a guy who had a, a very early Ploprof and, you know, they treated him right in terms of keeping that thing running and keeping it as original as possible and as tip top as possible. Yeah. So I love Omega and I think Omega might, you know, as a result of all the nonsense with some of these other brands end up kind of coming full circle to being that top dog, you know, uh, uh, working professionals watch, you know, the yeah. way it was in the forties, fifties and sixties when, when Rolex was kind of the upstart brand. I think it's a great parallel. And actually, I think if you look through the whole portfolio, I, which is extensive, so, you know, but I think there's way more parallels, you know, one-to-ones, you know, you could look at, like you said, you know, um, you know, chronographs, you can look at dive, dive watches, you know, kind of dress sport. I mean, there's a lot more one-to-ones you could literally, and how many times have you seen the YouTube video, right? Aquaterra versus OP. I mean, there's, there's literal one, you know, one-to-one comparisons for a lot of the, the two portfolios. And there's a lot to love there. Um, and, and on top of it, you're getting, like you said, brand prestige. I mean, that's a brand, 
you know, it's been doing that for an awfully long time. So yeah, hundred percent, you know, I think people, especially outside of the watch community or when they're new kind of gravitate immediately to Rolex and, uh, and if they're not able to do so, or it doesn't feel comfortable or, or they're really looking for other alternatives, I would hundred percent steer them, you know, in Omega's direction, you know, at least as they're starting to figure out what they like. And I guarantee they'll find something they like, cause I like almost all of it. Yeah. I, it's, um, no small thing for me to say that like of all the watches that you have and you've got some bangers, like if I had to take your collection and pare it down to just one or two watches, it would probably be your GMT and your Railmaster. And to be honest, I mean, the Railmaster, just from an aesthetics standpoint and wearability and everything is, that's unmatched. And they make a lot of great watches like that. So. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, you've, you, you know, you've got a number of Omegas in the collection and you have over the years. So it's, it's, uh, it's one that I think people, I think it's a a, a a really strong opinion and it's backed up with evidence of people saying, yeah, no, I, I buy Omega. I love Omega. I continue to own Omega. You know, it's not just like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, you could do that instead. Maybe it's like, no, I have Omega in my watch box. Like it, absolutely. You should consider it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not an also ran. And I think the more, you know, things continue along the trajectory that they are with some of the other brands that we've talked about, um, you know, Omega is just going to be a continue to, you know, grow and evolve as, um, again, sort of the top dog choice for quote unquote normal people. Yeah. Anyhow. Well, yeah. So that's sort of, uh, you know, our solution to this whole issue, right? This is the, the winter of our discontent and, you know, uh, that might be some way to kind of avoid the discontent, you know, find, find brands, that are appealing and that, uh, you know, don't make you feel like a schmuck. <laughs> that's a pretty, it's a pretty good <laughs> set of priorities to lay out when you're searching for a watch, right? Yeah. You know, all the other stuff, the, you know, the value retention and everything just, yeah. Find, find a brand that doesn't make you feel like a jerk. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I saved a few things at the end here. I was going to share with you. are pretty cool. I got, um, speaking of brands that don't really make you feel like a schmuck. Um, really not expensive but one of those cool seiko um travel slash desk clocks you know it looks like one of the there's a, a number of them and i and people they've they've been in the you know the worn and wine you know uh worn and wound shop and in other places but i got the one that looks like the diver so it almost looks like kind of like a tuna i guess it's got a, a, a it's not a rotating bezel but it's got a dive bezel and and the markers that you'd find on most of the the seiko divers um, and it's ran, you know, by battery, but it's got a sweet sweeping hand and, and an alarm function. And it's pretty cool. I, I'm, I, I threw it on the desk and it's a fun thing to stare at, you know, distract you every once in a while while you're, while you're working away. Um, so that was kind of a fun thing to grab over the holidays. You know, that is actually a fun segment of the hobby. I have two of those glass encased brass, um, Seiko clocks, the desk clocks, and they're, it's like the travel clock. So it's, you know, got a, a world time. And it's, you know, it's, it's battery powered. There's something interesting about the movement though. It's, um, you know, obviously it's a, uh, uh, you know, not a, a hand wound thing, but the, the sweep on it, as you said, was, is really, really, I think it must be just at a vibrating at a really, really high rate. Cause there's no stutter at all. You know, there's no deadbeat seconds effect. It just, it is really, really smooth the way like a, a high beat automatic or a spring drive is. I love those things. I think they're really cool. I want the little auto, uh, the little yellow one. You know, yeah, the, right, it looks right. like almost like a little billboard. When you yes. see it, it's so unimpressive because it's so small. You know, it's it's not much bigger than like a a glorified maybe a deck of cards. But um, I still want one of those. I did see one recently at that spot in Pasadena, so I'll have to swing by there and pick that up. Oh, there. I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 They had they yeah. had a couple of cool ones. They had it, uh, a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a great kind of little, uh, little spot. So anyhow, well, Greg, I appreciate it. Um, we probably, you know, uh, should move into final notes. Do you have anything you want to drop on us? Well, I think just that, uh, that fun little Seiko clock was a, a, a neat pickup lately. Um, and then on the photography side, I, I, I grabbed some of these, um, photography backdrops. Uh, they're, they're, they're really realistic looking. And I know there's a number of them out there you know, you could, you know, flip through a, a jillion of them on Amazon. But I think what I understood from a lot of people was that there, a lot of times they were not realistic and, or the quality was really poor. And, 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 you know, if you spilled something on it, 
kind of got messed up. So I found a pretty cool one. I started shooting some photos over the weekend. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to edit anything. So hopefully they, they look as good as I thought they might have, but um, they're from this company called Ink and Elm and they're, they're a vinyl. So they're, they're not super thick, but they're thick to the point that they're not just paper, you know, or cardboard. Uh, and they roll up and they they flatten pretty quickly, which I think was another thing that people really seem to complain about with these things. But, uh, you know, really realistic um, wood grain and another one that was was uh, like a slate, like a, a, a dark slate color. And so I'll, I'll let you know how that turns out, but I'm pretty excited to use them. And uh, and they weren't super expensive. They were not cost prohibitive. So just a nice way to, to switch up some of the, the photo stuff, you know, without having to, you know, dig around the, the house too much. No, that's cool. I look forward to seeing those. Your photography has been really good lately, so that'll be kind of neat to check out. Oh, thanks, man. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, it's been fun. I, I still feel like there's a, so much for me to learn, and uh, you know, it's fun watching everybody else do really, really nice work too. Cool. Well, hey, I've got one that is actually. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning of this that I'm I'm not very big on TVs and movies, and you know, staying up to date on kind of the latest and greatest you know, content that's out there and something that's been in my suggested for you thing forever on Amazon prime prime video has been a, um, a sci-fi series called the expanse. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty dark. Um, I wouldn't describe it as like, you know, totally dystopian type of thing, but it is, um, it's set in, I want to say, you know, a period in time that's about three or 400 years from now. And the idea is, um, you know, space travel intra, so, you know, system-wide space travel has evolved to the point where, you know, there's viable colonies on the moon and on Mars and, you know, an asteroid belt, you know, and there's basically mineral exploitation on a large scale out in the asteroid belt. And it's just, you know, what happens over a long period of time when big chunks of humanity get separated um, you know, presumably everybody's together in these efforts to, you know, push out into, you know, the, uh, uh, the system here, you know, the planetary system, but eventually is, you know, people are on Mars for a long time and in a group and people are out in the, in the belt for that's what they refer to it sort of in this series. Um, you know, they, they, there's like this kind of proto nationalism and problems begin and it's, mm. you know, looking at, Hey, what's, uh, you know, what, developments might happen. Um, I just basically binged the first season over the holiday. It's fun. It's not, the reason I like it is the production value is strong. Um, it seems fairly realistic and, uh, it's not like super campy. So it's not, you know, like a star Trek thing or anything like that. Um, you know, but the, uh, the CGI is really good. And I think there's a a very realistic take on, you know, how things would actually develop if you know, you know, a bit about like the physics of, you know, uh, uh, near earth space travel basically. So yeah, I, I would give that a look. Um, and where, what service is that on right now? That's Amazon. Amazon Yeah, that's, that's prime. Yeah. The expanse. And, you know, if you're into sort of the military, uh, space nerdery and sci-fi stuff, it's, it's a fun watch. So. And there's, there's a number of seasons. I mean, it's the kind of thing that it's been sitting on my list for, you know, two years. So I think they're on like season five now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Anyhow, that's, uh, that's all I've got for now. I love it. I love it. I'll check it out. I like the, the sort of, uh, realism that's attached to it because, um, yeah, sometimes I have to be in the mood for campy stuff. So yeah, this is not that. So yeah, I think you'd, you'd like it. It's, um, it it feels like all too prescient, you know. It's it's supposed to be in the future, but it does it does feel relevant. So, very cool. Well, we'll check it out. All right, bud. Always a fun uh, time to chat with you, even when uh, you know sometimes it makes our blood boil on topics like uh, you know hype watches and things like that. We still have a good time with it. Uh, excited to throw the cocktail matchmaker back out there. And, yeah, I'm gonna try um, that. I want to. Uh, I want you to follow through and give me some of that um, that syrup because that would be a lot of fun to try. I got you covered. Sweet dude. All right, man. You take care. Take care, Greg. See ya. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. 
As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.